Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody here in the house of the Lord. And God's given us a beautiful day, amen? Uh, and it's great to see the sunshine uh, after the storm. That's a blessing. Well, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. And... Uh, feel like I need to apologize to you last week. I'm not sure what I said. Uh, I kind of had a, a, a drop in my sugar when I got started and got dizzy and sweaty and a little disoriented in my head. So I have no idea what I said, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, it wasn't bad. Uh, hope I wasn't talking like Don. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Brother Don, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> the encouragement was for us to get involved in the race, to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. Keep our eyes on Jesus and just consider Him, because if we keep our eyes on Him and consider what He went through, nothing we're going to face in life seems like very much when... We think about what Jesus went through on the cross. Amen? Amen. And so with that, uh, with that thought in mind, uh, it continues on in verse number four. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Talking about those in the race. Uh, you know, sometimes the race gets hard. But he said, you haven't resisted unto blood. I think that's a reference to, to the cross of Christ and all that Jesus went through. He says, and ye have, verse 5, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. He said, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And he says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards, illegitimate, and not sons. Furthermore, ye have fathers of the flesh, which correcteth us, and we give them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening for the present uh, seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is uh, lame be turned out of the way, and let it rather, but let it rather be healed. 
That uh, portion of scripture many times has caused uh, the thought of a misrepresentation in a lot of people's minds about who God is. Uh, many people think that God is only a God of love. And He is a God of love. Amen? Amen? The Bible says God is love. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of compassion. And aren't you glad that He does have grace and compassion on all of us? He's that kind of a God. And yet we can't forget the fact, not only is he a God of love, but he's also a holy God. And as a holy God, he takes sin very seriously. In the eyes and the heart of God, sin is a serious matter. <clears throat> so serious that he, God would send His only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sin. He takes sin seriously. Now this is probably not a popular message this morning because I'm going to talk about chastisement. Is there anybody that likes to be chastened? I, I don't think so. I can remember growing up, I didn't look forward to it. I knew sometimes I had it coming. Did you ever have it coming? How many of you had it coming, but you didn't get it? And you thought, wow, that was good. <laughs> How many of you had it coming and you did get it? Uh, wasn't so good at that time. But you know what? It makes us into the people that, that God wants us to be and our parents want us to be. Chastening is a good thing. And... Uh, uh, we see here in the book of Numbers, chapter number 32, God speaking of the children of Israel. He says, But ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now think about that for a minute. Be sure your sin will find you out. A lot of times we do things and we think nobody knows. Nobody's ever going to find out. But you know what? The one that really matters knows. And somewhere along the line, it always comes out. I remember when I was growing up, uh, it was just the, the first or second day of rabbit season. And I was so sick that morning, I couldn't go to school. And my folks let me stay in bed that morning, and uh, they went off, and I was there all alone. But a miracle happened. You know what I'm talking about? I got healed. I got up and got dressed, got my shotgun took my beagle dog, and we went rabbit hunting. I kept watch on my uh, watch because my dad always come home for lunch at 12 o'clock, and about 11.30, uh, I, I got back to the house and uh, walked in my bedroom, and I had this 20-gauge pump shotgun, and I pumped all the shells out, and they flew over on the bed, and... and uh, 
uh, I got, got, got myself ready to get back in bed because I knew Dad was going to be there pretty soon. But all of a sudden, in my mind, I saw that rabbit jump and start running over there. And I took that empty shotgun and boom! I blew the side of my mom's chest of drawers out and everything in it. Shot the, 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 the door facing around the door, that wood that always goes up and around the trim. I shot it half and two right there. And I got sick. <laughs> Be sure your sin will find you out. That's a word from God this morning. Be sure your sin will find you out. He wrote that to his children. Later on, Amos the prophet would say, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, God says, I will punish you for all your iniquity. God said your sin will find you out and mark it down. There always comes a punishment with sin. And in our scripture today, we're talking about chastisement. And if you study the word of God, you'll uh, understand that uh, the Bible lays out three judgments that Christians are going to face. Judgment number one happened 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. Jesus, for our sins, died on the cross to pay our sin debt. Aren't you glad of that? We owe a debt we cannot pay. Uh, he had a, and He took our sins and went to the cross of Calvary and paid that debt for us. Our sins were judged at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. Our sins were judged at the cross of Calvary. And when we trust Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross and we invite Him into our life, we're born again into the family of God and our sins are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins were judged at the cross. But there's going to be a future judgment the Bible talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be judged there not as sinners. We're going to be judged there as servants at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says that every man's work shall be made manifest of what sort, sort of work it was, whether it's wood a hay, stubble, or gold, silver, precious stones. We're going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ as how well we have been servants of Almighty God. You may get away from it here, but you're not going to get away from it there. You're going to face God at that judgment. I'm talking to Christians now. You're going to face God at the judgment seat of Christ. And you'll be judged as servants. There's one other judgment the Bible teaches, and that's a present judgment. A present judgment. 
We're judged now as sons, as children. God judges us as His children in our daily life. And He says, as a father chastens his son, so God will chasten his children. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper tonight. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 30, it says, For this cause, unconfessed sin in your life is, is the cause. We'll refer to that tonight. But uh, referring for this cause, the cause was unconfessed sin, uh, a wrong relationship with God. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, and that's what we'll challenge you tonight about, judging yourself. If we would judge ourselves, then we should not be judged of the Lord. But when we are judged, if God has to get involved, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with this world. In other words, he says, if you judge yourself and you realize there are things in your life that shouldn't be there. There are attitudes that shouldn't be there. There are thoughts that shouldn't be there. There are actions that shouldn't be there. And you fail uh, to get those things right with God. Then he said, God will chasten us. If we fail to get it right, then we face the chastening hand of God. And this what, that's what this whole section of Hebrews is all about the chastening of the Lord, the chastisement of God. And in the message this morning, I want you to consider three statements I'm going to make about chastisement. Number one, chastisement is a forgotten truth. You know, we encourage folk about praising the Lord. We come in and we sing make a joyful noise to the Lord, and uh, we enjoy the music of heaven, and uh, we hope the preacher will preach a nice little positive message that will make us feel good so we can go out and not feel bad about ourselves. Uh, you know, that's kind of uh, the way a lot of Christians come in. But the truth is, God is a holy God. Amen? Amen. He's a holy God, and sin is a serious matter with God. And it's a forgotten truth. You don't hear a lot of preaching about Turn your television on and you listen to most uh, television preachers. You don't hear much about sin. You don't hear much of the convicting power of God about the way you're living and the things that you're doing. But God is a holy God and He has much to say about all of this. And in verse number 6 of our text, it says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation. He's referring to an exhortation from the book of Proverbs. And chapter 3 of Proverbs and verse number 11, it says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither uh, be weary of his correction. 
Don't despise it and don't get weary of the fact that God corrects us when we do wrong. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. And so the writer says, you have forgotten that exhortation, which speaks to us as unto children. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, neither faint when thou art rebuked. For the Lord, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. And so he reminded them of that exhortation. And I would encourage you to think about the fact that many people feel like God is just some indulgent father up there that when we sin, says, well, it's okay, son, I'll forgive you this time. And don't worry about it. No, sin always carries a retribution. There's always a consequence to sin. Is that not true? There's consequences. And God doesn't overlook sin. We like to categorize sin. Well, I've never murdered anybody. So I'm not as bad as some people. We like to categorize what, what are the worst sins. Well, uh, I only, you know, I fudge a little bit once in a while in, in some of the things that I say. And I, I get real close to the truth, but I don't always get all the way up to the truth. But it's just a little white lie. You ever heard that, that phrase, a little white lie? as if God's going to overlook the little white lie because we don't think it's a black lie, but it's a lie in the sight of God. And God, it takes all sin seriously. Seriously. And he uses that word chastisement. It's used eight times in the passage that we read this morning. The chastening, the chastisement, uh, the scourging uh, of God in our life. And the, and the meaning of that word is it refers to the whole training and educating of a child. God doesn't chasten us for his pleasure. God chastens us to train us and to educate us in how to be more like him how to please Him in our life, how to live a holy life. And so God uses all of this to train us, to teach us. And uh, because God is interested in us. Have you ever thought about that? God cares about you. God's interested in you. Sometimes we come to church and we think, well, we're here. And we ought to think, I'm here. God's here. Amen? Amen. The Lord shows up. But the Lord shows up to speak to me. And every one of us ought to sense and feel that. I'm here so that God can speak to me. 
Because God is interested in me. God loves me. God cares about me. God gave His Son to save me. God's interested in us. He's interested in you. He said, my son calls us his children. Hey child, I care about you. I don't know about you, I can remember when I was a kid. Uh, it was a great feeling to be able, uh, I think one of the times that I, that I really uh, really felt comfortable in church was when I would sit by my dad. And even while the preacher was preaching, a lot of times he would put his hand over on my leg, pat my leg. And that felt so good. I felt so safe. I felt loved of my dad. You know what I'm talking about? And that's what the Lord's saying, son, I love you. But don't despise what I'm going to what I'm going to do here. I can remember other times in church when my dad didn't pat my leg, he'd slap my leg and he'd say straighten up. That ever happened to you? Straighten up. He's trying to get my attention. And I remember a time or two we had to make a trip outside. He had to convince me that I needed to straighten up. But you know what? I learned how to respect the house of God. I learned how to respect the man of God. I learned how to respect the word of God. And I learned how to respect God. Because my dad was training me. He was educating me. He was teaching me the right way to live and the right things to do. And uh, he said, Don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked. Don't. Uh, you know, he gives us two options there. Either to despise it or think lightly about it, or to faint or lose heart. Some people, when they get rebuked, they want to pout. Are you a powder? Do you pout when God chastens you? Do you pout when God says no? Or do you say, okay, Lord, you're right. I failed. I'm sorry. The statement Buddy read a while ago from Lou Holtz, uh, you know, when you fumble, just confess it. I was watching uh, some ball games yesterday and uh, one team uh, fumbled uh, four or five times during the game. But I noticed every time the player that fumbled got to the sideline, he immediately went to the coach. And I'm sure he was saying, I messed up. I'm sorry. I didn't do right. Uh, and that's probably what got him back in the ball game. Uh, with the coach. Okay, you made a mistake. Let's not make a mistake. Get some glue on those hands. Hang on to that ball. Do right. You know, there's a lot of times we fumble in our Christian life. But don't despise the chastening of the Lord. God is trying to train us. And don't faint 
Don't give up because God still loves you. You know, I never doubted my dad and mom loved me, even though they chastened me. Now, when dad did it, he got the message across. Mom would take a fly swatter. You ever get, you ever get whooped up on with a fly swatter? Uh, we grew up in Indiana. In the summertime, flies were bad up there. So it didn't matter where mom was, she always had a fly swatter right there near swatting flies. But if you got out of line, she was swatting you with that fly swatter. Really didn't hurt, but she got the message across, you're doing wrong. If she really wanted to get our attention, I'm going to tell your dad. All she had to do was tell dad. There was no pleading. There, there, was, there was no way to escape it. You knew that dad was going to take care of it right then. And that's the way the Lord is. He chastens us. To, he trains us to get our attention. Whom the Lord loveth, verse 6 says, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And there's three words in there I would point out to you in verse 5 and 6. One of them is rebuke. It says God's going to rebuke us. Now, a rebuke is something that's verbal, is it not? My dad would say, straighten up. That was a rebuke. I knew I wasn't doing the right thing. How does God speak to us in a rebuke? Well, from the Word of God and the preacher that stands in the pulpit and preaching the whole counsel of God. And when your heart is convicted about sin in your life, that's the rebuke of God. That's God rebuking you in your heart. He says in Revelation, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Confess it. Get it right. You know it's wrong. God's convicted you about it. Don't go on. Don't walk out those doors as if everything's all right. Get on your face before God and say, God, I've failed. I've sinned. Name the sin. I, I confess it, Lord. Put it under the blood and go out of here with joy in your heart because you repented and did right. But sometimes we're hard-headed. Anybody here hard-headed? Hard-hearted? Let it just kind of roll off and, well, that was for somebody else. That was all for Joe this morning. Uh, doesn't matter, doesn't, that wasn't affecting me. Sometimes we get hard-hearted, hard-headed, and God not only rebukes us with His Word, sometimes it's just a look. Remember Peter? Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Ah, oh, Lord, I'll never, re I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. Oh Lord, I'm going I'm to be true to the end. That's a desire of most of us, I believe. But that night, Peter denied his Lord three times. And when they led Jesus out of the judgment hall of Pilate, 
with that crown of thorns upon his head and his back ripped apart by that cat of nine tails. Peter having denied him three times, Jesus looked at him. And Peter looked at Jesus. And the Bible says, he went out and wept bitterly. No doubt, oh God, oh God, I've denied my Savior. I'm sorry. I hope I'm more like Peter. That when God speaks to my heart, I can get it right. I hope you're more like Peter with that rebuke. And then he uses the word chasten. Because if we fail to respond to the rebuke, God said, I'm going to get your attention. And he chastens us. How does God chasten? Well, there's a variety of ways. We read a while ago out of the book of 1 Corinthians, sometimes it's sickness. For this cause, the fact that you didn't get right when I rebuked you and convicted your heart, don't come to the Lord's table because if you fail to get right, many are weak and many are sickly. Not all sickness is a result of, of sin. Sometimes sickness is just a natural process of life. I had problems last Sunday morning because of my sugar. I'm diabetic. I got a diabetic pump. And uh, the doctor gave me a new medication. And he said, this is going to cut down the need for as much insulin as you've been taking. It'll take a little while to really start working in your body. And evidently it started working last Sunday because it's been working all week. And uh, every once in a while, I'll check my sugar. Uh, checked it yesterday afternoon. It was 132. And I thought, well, this is, I'm okay uh, I'm going to go to the grocery store. And I, we went up to the grocery store and I walked around and did some shopping. And it was about an hour and a half or two hours later. And all of a sudden, I began to sweat and I began to shake. And I got real dizzy. And I got, got my tester out and tested my sugar. And it was down to 60. Just that quick. Wasn't because I'd sinned. I was even buying all the right stuff so I could halfway stay on my diet. I, hadn't, I didn't have any ice cream or cake or pies in the, in the cart. It was all good stuff. But it's just the natural process of the body. Sometimes sickness is a natural thing because when we were born, we were born with a sentence of death. Were we not? It's appointed unto man once to die. This body's going to wear out. Billy was telling me about his eyes. He said, he said man, I worry about my sight. Uh, but the body wears out. The eyes wear out. 
Brother Tim's worried about his knees and being able to get up and walk around. Our bodies wear out. It's just part, that's just, way, that's just the way it is. It's the natural process of life. Jesus would say, uh, when asked by the disciples in John 9, His disciples asked Him, saying, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents? You remember that story, that he was born blind. Here's a blind man. The questions the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Sometimes God gives us these things in the flesh to keep our eyes on him, to realize that our strength comes from the Lord, not from ourselves. Amen? Sometimes the weaknesses that we have, Paul had that thorn in the flesh. Don't know what exactly it was, but it was a thorn in the flesh. He prayed that God would remove that thorn. And finally God said, Paul, just shut up. I'm not going to remove the thorn. This is the Gwen transliteration now. I'm not going to remove the thorn. And then here's what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God gives us the privilege of enduring things so that He can show His grace and His mercy and be a demonstration of His goodness to all. And sometimes He uses circumstances. Not just sickness, but circumstances. Uh, the, the one biblical example I really thought of when I was thinking about this was Jonah. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach down there. And... Uh, and Jonah basically said, Lord, not on your life. I'm not going down there, that bunch of heathens. The Bible says that he got on a ship that was going to Joppa, and he paid the fare thereof. And this is probably what he thought. Well, the Lord wants me to go to Nineveh, but here's a ship going to Joppa. That must be the will of the Lord. There's a way out. And I've got just enough money to pay the fare. That has to be in the will of God. So I'm going to get on the... And there's space available. I'm going to go on that ship. And you know there's a lot of Christians, that's the way they think. They justify what they're doing because they can do it. And they get into circumstances that God has to send a storm in their life. And the storm came and Jonah finally had to fess up. It's me. God's after me. I'm running from God. Throw me overboard and you all will be saved. And he ended up in the dire circumstances with seaweed around his neck being fish food, where he finally cried out to God and said, okay, I'll go. Sometimes God uses circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances are not very pleasant. 
but God's trying to get our attention. And then thirdly, he uses the word scourging. Scourging, the most severe discipline. I thought about David, the man after God's own heart, sinned against God. Sinned against God, took Bathsheba, had an adulterous relationship with her, had her husband Uriah killed, murdered. Tried to hide that sin for a year. Failed to repent. And finally, God said, All right, buddy, you think you can ignore me? And that baby son died. The heartbreak of losing a baby. I've been out to the cemetery with families. Those little coffins about this long. And I've watched the heartache and the heartbreak at the loss of a little baby. But he not only lost his baby... He lost his family. From that day on, it was just trouble, trouble, trouble in his family. Even to the point where Absalom, his son, tried to murder his father and steal the kingdom. You can hear it in David's voice. When Joab came back and said, Absalom is dead. Hanged in a tree by his hair. Run through with a javelin. He's dead. And David cried, oh, Absalom. My son, Absalom. His kids broke his heart. The chastening of God. God takes sin seriously. Statement number two. Statement, not only is it a forgotten truth, and I've tried to remind you this morning that God takes sin serious and God will judge His children. But it's a family. Chastening is a family truth. Look at verse number seven. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, as children. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're illegitimate. You're really not my children. He expresses it this way. If you endure chastening, 
It's because you're my son. You're my child. It's because you're part of the family. I raised a couple of kids. And uh, there were times when I had to get their attention. And I had to chasten them. But you know what? I never chastened anybody else's children. Because they weren't mine. That was their dad's job. Not my job. My job was to take care of my kids. And he says, Chast- a chastisement is a family affair. God said, if you're my child, I'm going to chasten you if you do wrong. Because I want you to, be- I want you to do right. I want you to be right. I want you to be more like me. I want you to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. I want you to become more and more like Jesus all the time. God said, I'm going to get your attention... So that you'll do right. Well preacher. I've got things that I've done wrong. And I've not had any chastening of the Lord. Could I say. That ought to be a red flag. In your life. Because if there's no chastening. Because of sin in your life, maybe it's because you're illegitimate and you're not really a child of God. Because the Lord chastens His own. And if there's no chastisement, it's because you're not a son, you're not a child, you don't belong to God. One of the ways you know you're really born again is when you sin, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. How's it explained? Well, verse 9. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Compares it to a dad. Loves his kids. And he corrects his kids. You know, I discovered my parents were not perfect. I made a bigger discovery when I found out I wasn't a perfect parent. And by the way, neither are you. Hello. But I knew my dad loved me because he cared about me. And he corrected me. It wasn't a joyous occasion when that happened. All right, go out and cut me a switch. Oh, yay, man. No, it wasn't anything like that. And it wasn't fun when it happened. But the Bible says it yieldeth the peaceable fruit (laughs) of righteousness. Made me straighten up and do right. And I knew my dad loved me because he corrected me. You know, we look back on it after we grow up. 
And uh, we talk about, well, I've heard Buddy talking about how uh, he was disciplined sometimes. But he says it in a way that says, my parents love me. My mom loved me. Cared about me. Because she disciplined me. And she did it out of love. And we, we revere our parents. The heroes of my life were my parents. I can still see my mom on her knees beside of her bed with her Sunday school lesson laid out on the bed because they used flannel graph back in those days. That she would be on her knees praying over those kids and over that Sunday school lesson. I can, I can still see my dad sitting uh, on the couch with an open Bible reading to us at night and gathering us around and praying together. I can still see my dad uh, in church with tears running down his face. And I can still I can still see my dad in that place of authority in my life teaching me the right thing and the right way to go. It says if we can re revere our fathers then how much more we ought to revere God even when we're chastened of the Lord. Even when we're chastened Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of, spirit, of spirits and live? He said we ought to, give, ought to give that reverence to our heavenly. For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Making us more like Jesus. That's why he chastens us. Statement number three, chastisement is a fruitful truth. Look what he says in verse number 12. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. You know what he's saying? It helps you grow up. Helps you grow up. We sin. We struggle. God chastens us. And we say, all right, that's not the way to do it. That's not the way to go. And it changes our behavior and helps us to grow up. Except that chastening of the Lord. The discipline of God. I've failed. And you know what? Sin bears a consequence. Sin bears a consequence. You know, you can... You can go out here and get involved in a lifestyle that destroys your lungs, destroys your brain. You can take substances that mess up your mind, mess up your body. When I was in the hospital with my, with my heart attack and getting ready for surgery, they brought a guy in the same room I was in, and uh, he looked like he was 60 or 70 years old. I found out he was in his late 20s. Had been a drug user, abusing drugs, and what he was going through 
was unbelievable what he was doing to his body. You know what? That guy can get saved, get his heart right with God, but he's still going to bear the consequences of all of that. Sin always has consequences. You know, you can get self-centered and end up in a divorce, break up your family, but you can get your heart right with God and get back in fellowship with God. But most of the time it doesn't restore that, felt, that home and it doesn't restore you back with your kids and your heart is still broken because of that separation. The consequences of sin. It always has a consequence. But when God disciplines us, it says he gives us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I liken it to a, a little child. My dad didn't put up with crying. We get to crying about something, he'd say, stop that crying. You didn't stop the crying, he would say something like this. I'm going to give you something to cry about. Anybody ever hear that statement? Uh-huh. I want to give you something to cry about. And a lot of times he'd pick you up and whack you about two or three times on the backside uh, so that you can get your attention. And what happens? You quit crying. That's what happens. Peace comes to the house. Calm is restored. Everything is all right. Because dad said, we're not having that. Peace came. You know, when you're at peace with God, that's when you can really serve the Lord. But it helps us grow up. Not only does it help us grow up, but look what he says uh, in verse number 12. Wherefore, lift up hands which hang down and feeble knees and make straight Paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. God said, I want to heal you. And he's talking to us like a coach. He said, you sin? If I can rebuke you and get your attention, great. If I have to chasten you to get your attention, Okay. If I have to scourge you to get your attention, the result will be you're going to get back in the race. You're going to finish the course. You're going to win the prize. You're going to become more and more like Jesus. And so he speaks to us like a coach when he says, Wherefore, lift up your hands that hang down and feeble knees. In other words, he's saying, hey, let's get back in it. Let's get up. Let's get back on the track. Let's run the race. 
Lay aside those weights which so easily beset. Don't let anything drag you down. Uh, get away, get, drop those weights of sin in your life. Get back on track. Get up on, on your feet. Get off your lazy behind and uh, get out there in your spot and begin to run. Get on your mark. Get set. Go. Let's make something happen for Almighty God. That's why God chastens us to put us back in the race to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Chastisement. Chastisement. God loves us. And He chastens everyone whom He loves. But if there's no chastening of the Lord, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're not my children. Could I challenge you this morning? If there's no chastening of God in your life, maybe it's because you've never been born again into God's family. And you need to settle that issue today. If you've got sin in your life, Christian, listen to me. Don't walk out of here without doing business for God. We're going to sit at the Lord's table tonight. And I trust every one of you will be in your place tonight. If there's any service of the year you're ever going to miss, it shouldn't be the communion service. A holy time. We gather at the table of the Lord. We sit down with Jesus. We reflect on all that He paid that we might be born again and have heaven as our home. And what a holy time that is together. And everyone needs to be in their place tonight. But we need to come with a clean heart and a clean life before God. If there's anything you need to lay at the altar, could I encourage you this morning to come and find a place and talk with God? If you're not a child of God, could I encourage you to come, trust Him today, let Him be your Savior, let Him be your God, let Him give you eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed? Every eye closed, Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to one more time be able to look into your word and have the Spirit of God be our teacher this morning. And I pray that your word would find lodging in every life today. And for that one that might be here without you, God, would the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God fall upon their soul. Even now, as I speak, Lord, I pray that you would just convict hearts of their need of the Savior for your children. Lord, I pray that your rebuke, your conviction would be all it takes to get right. That, Lord, there not have to be any chastening or scourging, but we would just bow in reverence, in submission. Say, oh, Lord, I fail. Because you said if we confess our sin, you'd be faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And Lord, you'd cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray for Christians here this morning, Lord. They had not walked out of these doors without meeting with you here at the altar today, I pray. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder...